Today's scripture reading is from Genesis chapter 2, verses 15 through 19. Then the Lord God took the man and put him into the Garden of Eden to cultivate it and keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, From any tree of the garden you may eat freely, but from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat from it, you shall surely die. Then the Lord God said, It is not good for the man to be alone. I will make him a helper suitable for him. And out of the ground the Lord God formed every beast of the field and every bird of the sky and brought them to the man to see what he would call them. And whatever the man called the living creature, that was its name. Liz, we are talking about the purpose that God has put into our lives that he put into the Garden of Eden. And we have talked about the purpose of our existence just as individuals. God made you just as, inten as intentionally as he made Adam. You were not made for your own fulfillment, nor were you made for the world's fulfillment. You were made for God's pleasure to relate to him. So as long as you're alive, as long as he keeps you alive, you have a purpose that is known only to God. And also, there was the purpose in limits. God set limits in the Garden of Eden in order that we might learn contentedness with what we have and that we might learn about God's provision. He did it for our protection. Whenever we trespass beyond our limits, we get creamed. And so he, he taught us, even there, to be who he made us to be and not try to become more, but yet that there would be some times when he would call us way beyond so that he could be our provider. Now, he also taught us about love. He gave us a partner. He gave us people so that we could practice <laughs> for him, so that we could love on earth, so that we could love him in heaven. He gave us people who were different to love. Has he given you someone real different to love? So that we could bridge that gap. I said, I heard somebody say amen. So we could bridge that gap and love God who is far different than we are. Not just to use, to practice to love God, but loving them fully for themselves and in that process hammering out a character of love that we could present to Him. And He also gave us a purpose in work and contribution to this world. Now, today, I want to talk about knowledge. I want to talk about especially verses 19 and 20. Out of the ground, the Lord God formed every beast of the field. Now, this is the recap of chapter 1. It's in a little bit more detail of what happened in chapter 1. Out of the ground, the Lord God formed every beast of the field and every bird of the sky and brought them to the man to see what he would call them. One of the purposes of knowledge is to develop the man intellectually. Now, two things I want you to notice here. First of all, God did not have to order the man to name those animals. Nor did he have to reward the man for naming those animals. He just brought them to the man. And he knew what he had built. He knew there was an innate sense of curiosity and learning. Naming something in the Bible is to know its nature. It is to see something for what it is and give it an appropriate name. We all, by curiosity, want 
to analyze the world. We want to know the world and name it. See, it's part of our our increasing dominion, but it's also a part of who we are. Most of us were brought up studying the works of B.F. Skinner, who said in his behavioralism that if you give positive rewards or negative rewards, you can basically control behavior. And if you want to increase a behavior, you give a positive reinforcement. He did that with monkeys and rats and dogs. What we do not know is that before those experiments, he starved those animals. So it looked like they were doing them for the rewards. A contemporary, Harry Harlow, did the same kind of experiments with monkeys, feeding the monkeys on a regular basis whatever they wanted, presenting those monkeys with the same problems. And you know what? Those monkeys solved those problems just as fast, if not faster, out of an innate sense of curiosity. We are bringing our kids up to expect rewards and trying to manipulate their behavior and acting like, well, they'll be dunderheads if we don't either punish them or give them rewards. I think it simply confuses. We are innately curious. God brought the animals to Adam and then just stood and saw what he would name them. And in that process, Adam went to solve a problem. And in that solving of problem, he increased his intellect and his knowledge. And in the increase of that intellect, he learned how to think. Now, here's something very important. God wants us to know. He wants us to analyze so that we can take in the world as it is. Even the things you wouldn't think would be important. He wants us to mull over. Now, there are four ways to knowledge. There are four basic philosophies of knowledge. Some think that we have knowledge innately or intuitively. Some of you are wired intuitively, by the way. Somebody walks in the room, you hear three sentences from them, and you can peg them just like that. Immanuel Kant talked about a priori knowledge, knowledge before experience. Um, Plato said that we are born with knowledge in us, that, the, that, that the, our life in the world is simply to evoke the knowledge that has already been given to us. On the other end of the spectrum, there is the theory that we don't know anything except for what God reveals to us. That's knowledge by revelation. That we are a blank slate, and the only thing we can know for sure, Berkeley said this, the only thing we can know for sure is what God has revealed to us. Everything else is in doubt. Okay, that makes sense too, doesn't it? All of these are partially right, by the way. The one here is knowledge by analysis or reason. Descartes was big on this. He said the way to knowledge is by analyzing reality. We have logical structures in our mind that we can use, and that's how we can reach the truth. And then there's one more over here, and it's called knowledge by experience or observation. Hume, uh, Locke. Uh, those philosophers said this is the way to knowledge. This is the modern scientific way. We observe things. And only those things we record happening in front of our eyes are really real. Now, many people assume that Adam, that this was a five-minute ordeal with Adam. Okay? That the animals went before Adam, and Adam either intuitively said, water buffalo, hippopotamus, duck, or... 
God was whispering in his ear. See? That one kind of looks like an elephant to me. What do you think? Yeah, elephant. You know? Either knowledge by intuition or knowledge by revelation. (coughs) I'd like to suggest something different to you. I would like to suggest that this was a long process of study that Adam learned as we are to learn by observation and reason as well as by intuition and revelation. That he took time to know the nature of these animals. And I'll tell you why in just a minute. But it's very important to note that Adam built discernment by the exercise of logic and observation. Not just in the animals, but for all of his life. Do any of you have kids in algebra? Do they ever say, where am I ever going to use this stuff? They get so sick. Or geometry, you know, or something like that. Where am I ever going to? I hate this stuff. Why do I have to take this stuff? And usually you say, well, because it's a requirement. That's all you got to say. Let me give you another answer that makes a lot more sense. And they may believe you or not. You go through the exercise of reasoning logically in algebra because it has associated thinking benefits. If you can think through algebra, you can think through other problems in life because of the capacities you've developed by that logic. Now, you may never get out of school and face another algebra problem for as long as you live. I haven't. However, you will face many problems in which you will use the same capacities that you developed while you were trying to learn algebra and geometry. You understand? Why, then, was Adam stuck with naming these animals? Because God was building up in him discernment and analysis to live the rest of his life to live in the world so that he could gather all of the world as it was. Do you know the Eskimos have 17 words for snow? How many Florid- How many do Floridians have? One. That's right. Either snowed or it didn't. You know? Call up to ask you, did it snow? What kind of snow? Well, you know, snow, white stuff. See? Alaskans, though, can discern between 17 different kinds of snow because they have words for them. They can name them. See? If, then, God was trying to develop Adam intellectually, which he was, it was the process of discernment that was important. I would like to lay before you that this was a long time that Adam studied those animals. Number one, so that he could grow intellectually and come to know the world as it was. But number two, so that he could begin to have a relationship with the world. Do you know, the longer you spend with an animal, the more it seems like you have a relationship with it? Isn't that true? I bet you've got pet story upon pet story you could tell me, don't you? Your pet isn't like any other pet, is he? They've got what? Personalities, don't they? And here's Adam looking at these water buffaloes a long time. And he probably named them water buffaloes, but he probably called them Martha the water buffalo because she was different, you know, than all the other buffaloes. See, Adam... Wanted God wanted Adam to develop a relationship with things that were in the world. Number one, so that he could be a steward of the world. Look in uh, verse 15. He not only put Adam into the garden to till it and to keep it. He put him in relationship to other animals to develop a relationship of stewardship. A relationship 
of responsibility. In Genesis 1, 27 and 28, it says, God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him male and female. He created them. And God blessed them and said to them, Be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth. Now watch this. And subdue it. Rule over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the sky, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. Do you know that part of our dominion is to have a relationship of sympathy with that which we rule over? A relationship of responsibility, not an exploitive extraction of their use for our lives. So God put Adam into this garden so that he would take a while to get to know these animals while he was seeing their nature so he could figure out what to name them. And they had personalities. I remember uh, seeing a Dick Van... Remember Dick Van Dyke show? You know, Mary Tyler Moore was on a Dick Van... Way back. And I remember one skit they did where he had some sick animal, you know, and he took it into this veterinary uh, 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 office... And there's all of these people with their animals. And he's looking around, and all these people are talking baby talk to their animals. And there's a guy with a rabbit, you know, and he's talking fluffy, you know, and he's talking baby talk to him. And there's somebody over with a dog, you know, and, and she's talking baby talk to the puppy. And there's a lady beside him with a duck. He's sitting there with his cat or something. She looks at him and she says, Aren't people silly? He said, yeah, I'd say so. I mean, a rabbit is a rabbit. Yeah. And a dog is a dog. Yeah. And then she looks at him and she said, ducks are people. <laughs> yeah. There was a relationship formed there, see? God wanted Adam to form a relationship with the world. I'll tell you why in just a minute. But he also wanted Adam to learn from the animal kingdom. You know, if you look at animals long enough, you can learn from them. I wonder, I wonder if Adam looked at a mockingbird long enough, if he had, if he would have gotten some hints as to how to raise kids. Let me tell you why. I think he, I think he probably messed up with Cain and Abel. Don't you think somewhere along the line? I mean, part of that was probably his responsibility. You know what a mockingbird does? A mockingbird imitates the sound of the animals around it. And it sings in the middle of the night in a very irritating, ever-increasing volume. It will sing the song of Jay. I mean, it's like a parakeet or a parrot. It mimics the sounds that it's heard in the day. It sings uh, a jay or a, or a crow or even cats. They come out with the sound of cats. And they say them over and over and over and louder and louder. I read a book one time that talked about a guy who observed, you know, a mockingbird and he taped the mockingbird and, and, and then played it back. And the louder he'd play the tape, the louder the mockingbird would get. And they are especially loud during the season when they have their babies. Well, he just, which, by the way, that's where the name mockingbird comes from. It's a very mocking kind of sound, see? Well, as he observed these things, he figured out that that was the way they established their dominion in a territory, their dominance in a territory. These birds who, ever, who hardly ever fight physically, 
sang so loudly and irritated the other animals so badly that they would finally have a territory for themselves. Now, let me ask you this, you who have raised children. Have you ever had an older brother mock a younger sister over and over again relentlessly and say exactly what she's saying in a real sappy sound, louder and louder, she's about to go crazy? Huh? Well, you know from the mockingbird what he's doing. He's trying to establish dominance and territoriality. If you watch the mockingbird long enough, you'll know exactly what to do. Send him to his own territory. <laughs> Where he can be totally alone for a while and say, Look, you be king of that territory. When you're ready to live with the rest of us, you come on back. See? I wonder if, if Adam could have learned some lessons from the animals that God brought to him. But even more than intellectual development and even more with a developing relationship with the world so that he could be a good steward, there was a purpose in the developing the capacity for knowledge that Adam had. And that was this, that all knowledge, if viewed in relationship, comes back to God. Can you imagine what it was for Adam to see the first peacock. What it would be for the peacock to fan out those feathers and to see the living colors. Or the first parrot. Can you imagine Adam doing anything other than giving glory to God because he had seen such glory of his creation? If you will turn to Psalm 8, let me, let me show you the natural response of contemplating creation. Starting with verse 3, the psalmist wrote this. When I consider, when I consider thy heavens and the work of thy fingers, the moon and the stars, which thou hast ordained. What is man that thou dost take thought of him in the son of man that thou dost care for him? Now I want you to see something here. Always in the accumulation of knowledge, there is innate an idea of relationship. The knower always has relationship to the known. That's what it means to have something in mind. There is always a possession there. There's always a relationship. In Hebrew, there is no such thing as knowledge only in the head, only intellectual knowledge. It is always knowledge in relationship. And you always begin to look from what you know to see what your proper response ought to be. See? Now, the Greek way of thinking, the simple analysis way of thinking, the analysis only way of thinking, has really veered us off from what God really uh, originally intended. Because it does not necessitate a response. 
Um, there are three ingredients, I think I've told you before, in a godly salvation experience. In Latin, they are notitia, that is, knowing the facts, knowing what the facts are. Ascensus, which means intellectually assenting to the facts. That is, agreeing with the facts, saying, well, that's how it is. But those are of no account, you can read in James chapter 2, I think, verse 19, because even the demons, it says, know about Christ. They say Christ is a fact, but yet they are damned. Why? Because they haven't taken the third step. The third step is fiducia, or trust, or putting your life into that which you know. Pisteo, the word for, for faith, means to believe into something. And so therefore, it is very important to know that God gave Adam the ability to know so that he, will, he would search for a relationship. It would not be good enough just to know what until he knew why and until he knew who. And that is why we have this world. That's why we have the problems that we do. It's not good enough to know how to solve them until we know why to solve them and who we should solve them for. That's why we have the world that we do. Science unknowingly has detached teleology from epistemology. Teleology being the purpose. Epistemology just being the science of knowledge. And they have said knowledge, just the facts, are good enough in, in themselves. But what they have missed is the original purpose of knowledge. There is a Welsh miner, M-I-N-E-R, who is also a poet. His name is Hugh Minet. And he wrote a little poem one time, I'll see if I can remember it, that really struck me. He said this, If a good God would suddenly make a solitary blind to see, we would stand all and call it miracle. But that he with lavish hand gives sight to a million souls, we stand. And with little awe, say, he but fulfills a natural law. Do you understand how, by the simple intellectual classification, we have lost the personality of the creation? We have lost God in the creation. And that's part of the reaction that we're getting from the New Age. That's part of what the New Age religions are capitalizing on. We have lost this business of God revealing himself through how the world is. And you say, well, how could we do that? I mean, wouldn't we be missing something as a culture? I want to tell you that a culture can live a long time just by avoiding pain and getting what it needs, what it needs to survive. It doesn't have to have any brains. It doesn't have to have any purpose. It can survive for a very long time. I read a book this week by an entomologist... An entomologist is a bug studier. 
And he spent a good deal of his time studying cockroaches. Oh, you hate cockroaches. He loved them. He thought cockroaches were the greatest thing in all. You know why? Because cockroaches are, are some of the oldest living life forms. 230 million years of survival. No brains. Just survival. He was saying, he was trying to figure out how many brains a cockroach has. So he's doing experiments on the cockroach. And, of course, the basic avoidance is pain. And so he puts this cockroach on this floor that can emit an electric shock. Well, <laughs> he, I like this part of it, he, no, I, I shouldn't say it. The, the cockroaches have the feelings in their legs, see? And so he emits a little tremor, a little tune, right before the shock. little tune, cockroach does nothing, gives a shock, the cockroach goes like this. See? Little tune, cockroach does it, emits a shot, cockroach does this. After a while, sure enough, sure enough, he emitted the tune, and the cockroach went like that, <laughs> trying to avoid the shot. He thought to himself, a cockroach has brains. This is so great. I've proven intelligence. Until he did the next part of the experiment. Cut off the head. I'm sorry. You're going out from to here to lunch, are you? Take a little break. Take a little break. Little boys love these stories. Don't we, boys? Cut off the head. Emitted the little tremor before the shock, and guess what happened? It jumped without any brain attached. What had happened? It had stored the avoidance response in peripheral nerves. You know what? Our culture is exactly like that. It has detached itself from its head <laughs> and stored the avoidance response in peripheral nerves. We can survive a long time relatively pain-free and not have any brains at all. There should be no pride about our existence. There should be no pride that we have an explanation of the world that can absolutely do without God. So can a headless cockroach. God gave us the world to know Him, to appreciate Him, to love Him. He gave us everything to know so that we would trace it back to Him. Our culture, in every sense, is 2 Timothy 3.7, where it says they are ever learning and never coming to a knowledge of the truth. Paul wrote, 1 Corinthians 8.1, that knowledge without relationship is simply puffing up. Knowledge was given to us so that we could trace it back to the originator. And we are so proud that we can do without God or avoid Him and thereby avoid our accountability to Him. we got nothing to be proud of. And every problem we should look for God and His provision and His answer. In every blessing we should look for God and His provision and His answer to us. In everything. God is to be exalted. Let me tell you one more story, and then I'll quit. comes from Paul Harvey. I love this. <laughs> True story. 
about a North Carolina State Highway Patrolman who pulled over a driver who was very obviously drunk. And as he staggered out of the car, and as this patrolman was writing him a ticket, across the divided highway, a multi-car accident happened. Well, he turned to the man and he said, I've got to go over there, you stay here and wait. And he went across the highway trying to see if he could sort out that accident. The very inebriated driver decided he'd waited around long enough and got in and drove home. Came into his house, looked at his wife and said, If anybody asks, tell them I've been in bed all day sick with the flu. Went up to bed. Not an hour later, two state highway patrolmen show up at his door. Knock. Asked to talk to the man. He comes out, staggering, blanket over his head, wheezing and coughing. They ask him if he's been out driving that night. He said, oh, no, he's been sick all day. Oh, well, they said, we apologize for disturbing you. What? One more thing. Could we see your car before we leave? Sure, he said. Took him out to the garage. Opened the door, and there inside was a state highway patrol car, (laughs) blue lights still flashing. We can deny the Creator all we want, but it's kind of stupid to do it while we're driving around in His world. Pray with me. God, help us not lose track of who You are and what You've made us included. Help us to give You glory and give You worship in everything You have done to remind us that you love us and to remind us this is your world. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.